Chapter 23 Circles of Protection The Brotherhood of Geeks summoned their master to Mishra's workshop. The priest did so only because Mishra, the artifice Kadir of the Flaji, was going to decamp soon, moving westward to the caravan city of Tomakul. The Serenthinian front had expanded into a full-fledged war, and Mishra needed to be closer to action. Already, manpower had been stripped from occupied Yodia, and troops were making the long trek north and west to the wooden shores of Ronum Lake. The Kixians knew of these decisions, for they infiltrated most of the daily workings of the workshop and the surrounding factories. Over the past few years, they had become a regular part of Mishra's court, and were for the most part tolerated. They had spun that tolerance into a web of information. Little came to Mishra's factory that did not reach the Gixians' ears, and, through them, their masters. The mines were mostly tapped out now, said the reports from Yodia, and entire mountains were being stripped away from any resources they could provide. Similarly, the tribute of men and supplies from Zigon were drying up. Far off Almaz had brought up its own protection by sharing its mystic song mages, but Mishra was now depending on that nation for iron and lumber as well. Then there was Serent. There were the official commander's reports of great dragon-like worms that haunted the forest and light troops who struck from ambush. The city of Serenth itself, immured to the years of assaults from the Yumak nation to the north, was as hard to crack as an iron-shot chestnut. There were other Serenthinian reports, these from Ashon, and harder for the Gixons to get their hands on, though not impossible. These reports were friendly and conversational, but they never failed to mention the problems of the current Falaji commander and the inevitable tragedy that would ensue if the red-haired woman were not immediately given free reign in military matters. Misha held firm to his decision. He did not give her a command, nor did he call her back to his side, and the Gixians approved of both decisions. At last, there were the reports from the east, from the passage through the Kerr ridges to Argav and Corlys. The war was a slow grinding process as two titans hurled themselves against each other. Urza was busy, of that was no doubt, ripping huge chunks from the Argavian landscape to feed his own war machines. The land was ringed with towers that appeared almost overnight, each tower containing mechanical protections. The camp was awash in rumors that the Argivans were about to cross the mountains in the desert and press on into occupied Yodia. Misha was forced to relocate his court to Tomakul, closer to the heart of his empire, closer to the siege of Serenth, and farther from the thinly defended Yodian border. The last item was a bad thing for the Brotherhood of Gix. Such a move would disrupt their organization, which they had shaped into a perfect machine. So they gathered in their quarters, situated beside the spillage from one of the great iron foundries, and called their master. Their chant was logical and precise, their motions practiced and machine-like. They had been taught how to call upon Gix before they left Koilos, and the demon had left precise instructions when to call upon him. Now, in the windowless room of their small quarters, the 24 brothers chanted the proper dirges and motioned their hands in the proper manner, carving symbols in the air. In return, the air winked at them, coalescing into a great pillar of blackish smoke, smelling of burning oil. There was a sound of crashing gears, and from the smoke stepped their master, Gix, resplendent in his living armor, his snake-like tendrils flexing and coiling from the back of his head. You have summoned me, said Gix. I trust it is for a good reason. Gix moved unseen through the darkness of the desert night, a landscape hidden from the heavens by clouds of smoke and illuminated from beneath by the light of the foundries that ran around the clock. The great trees that originally cradled the factories were dead now, their lumber sawn up and used to make catapults, rams, dragon engines, and other war machines. The surviving stumps had been hollowed out and converted to barracks and foundries and plated with sheets of thin copper. There were still humans about, both warriors and slaves, but much of the work was now done by automatons, great clanking beasts 
that shuffled mindlessly from one task to another. It was no phyrexia, thought the demon, but it was a good start. His followers had been correct. Once Misha relocated his command center, he would be tougher to strike at. Further, it might take years for the human artificer to raise Tomokul to the same wonderful level of civilization that he had achieved in this region. Now was the time to strike, the demon thought, before the advantage was lost. Gix moved like a spirit through the empty hallways and mechanized forges. He left his children, the priests, behind after rewarding them with the touch of the dreams of Phyrexia. They lay in a stupor now, dreaming of the mechanical paradise. Gix moved best alone. Where he discovered, Gix knew that with but a thought, he could easily return to Koilos. He had gained an affinity with the desert caverns over the years, and simply by willing it so, he could travel there. He needed help from his priest to be summoned elsewhere, but he could go home at will. Gix allowed a narrow smile to cross his lipless face. He thought of Koilos as home now, not Phyrexia, to which he could not return, not at least without first punishing the interloper, not without taking from the trespasser his valued stone of power. There was only one incident en route to the workshop. An automaton from one of Misha's factories crossed before him. Sensing something unfamiliar, it stopped in place, whirring menacingly. Gix was uncertain. If the machine had the rude sentience to recognize him as a stranger, or if it was merely sounding an alarm as an automatic reaction. In the passing years, he had developed an understanding of these simple machines made by clumsy mortal children. Gix reached out mentally to the artifact, caressing it with soft words as a human would comfort a wounded animal. It did not matter if the animal understood the words, only that it understood the intent behind them. The priesthood back in Koyos had been rebuilding the Suchi automatons, and this one was little different from them. The machine shivered for a moment, as Gix's mind touched a small shard of power stone that served both as its heart and brain. The demon changed only a few small matrices within the crystal itself, but those were enough to convince the lead-minded device there was nothing out of the ordinary and no alarm need be sounded. The automaton stopped whirring and soon scooted out of sight. Gix entered the workshop, gliding past bleary-eyed guards who no more noticed his passing than they did the smoke that now rose from the surrounding landscape. The demon's feet did not touch the ground, as he floated effortlessly to the thief's chambers, where his minions had assured him his prey awaited. Indeed, he was present, slumped backward in a work chair before a great board made of slate, a piece of chalk still clenched in his hand. Gix's mechanical eye swept the room. It was filled with books, most of which were covered in a thick coating of dust. At the far side, near a heavy wooden throne, another man, a Falaji guard, was asleep. Gix nodded. One less being he would have to kill immediately. He moved toward the inert form of the sleeping Mishra. The human looked almost cherubic in slumber. His beard was now flecked with bits of gray, and his hair was cropped at the neckline behind him. Mishra was wider now than he had been when he entered Phyrexia, the excess weight spilling over his belt line. There were small wrinkles beside his eyes, and lines stretched across his forehead. The crown of rulership had rested heavily on that head. But Gix can sense an alertness about the man, even in slumber. His mind was working dreaming of new devices and new plants. Even in rest, there was the scent of motion about him. The demon would have to move quietly. Originally, Gix had thought to merely excise the top of the man's head and scoop the brains out slowly to make Mishra aware of what was happening to him before he perished. Now, seeing the man think even when asleep, Gix decided to merely slash his throat and take the power stone for himself. The power stone. It lay within a small pouch hanging from around Mishra's neck. Gix could feel the crystal's presence, just as he could feel Misha's or feel the automaton's heart. The ordinary human across the room was a statue, a lump of earth by comparison. Both Misha and his stone exuded a sense of power that Gix could almost taste. 
the demon held up a finger, and a single needle dropped talent extruded from his fingertip. He leaned forward, one swift cut, he thought, along the base of the jawline from ear to ear. There was a noise, a humming so soft that only Gix could hear it. Beneath the folds of the human's vest, within its pouch, the gem began to glow in rainbow colors. It flickered to life its own volition, the color spilling from the gathered opening of the bag and bathing Mishra in its light. Gix froze for a moment, and not of his own will. The stone was aware of him, as he was aware of it. Somehow, it could prevent him from carrying out his plan. He pressed a hand forward, and with every inch of progress became more difficult, until at last it was like pressing through forged iron, solid and unrelenting. Gix shook his head in puzzlement. There was no indication earlier that the stone offered any personal protection to its holder, yet he could not lean forward and end this one's life. The demon changed his goal. He would take the gem itself and then kill the human for his insult. The gem seemed to sense Gix's intent and flashed brightly as the demon reached for its pouch. Gix pulled his hand back and let out a hissing curse. The stone's proximity had burned him like acid and wisps of smoke rose from his scalded hands. Across the room, the other human stirred in his sleep. Gix tucked the burned hand under his arm, muttering in a clicking tongue of the pain. Gix looked at the slumbering Mishra and let out a low cat-like hiss. The stone offered some protection to itself and its user, at least from creatures such as the Phyrexian. It burned him as he approached. No, not burn, thought the demon. It was attempting to recognize him and to dominate him, to command him, as it commanded the dragon engines years earlier. The stone, though itself unthinking, recognized his sentience and rejected him as dangerous. That rejection was the burning. Gix perched on the edge of the work table. The stone protected the man. The stone protected the stone while in the man's possession. Gix thought about it for a few moments, then smiled. The answer was to change the nature of the stone, or to change the nature of the man. The stone was half of its original, and perhaps its protective nature stemmed from that cleaving. It was seeking its mate, thought Gix. Perhaps it somehow determined that Misha was its opposing half. That would explain the wards that kept a Phyrexian creature such as himself at bay. Unify the halves, and the entire crystal would be restored. Gix could take it back to his homeland. And the man? Gix looked at the sleeping Mishra. Perhaps he could be changed as well, altered to something that would serve Gix's masters better as a live slave than as a dead example. Yes, it would take time, but Gix had a little but time. Mishra was separated by his fellow humans by his intelligence, by his position, and by his power. Could Gix recruit him, and his brother for that matter, into his world? Would that not be a more fitting punishment than just killing them? Gix let a lipless smile spread across his face. Yes, there were more ways to kill a creature than just by ending its life. Sometimes, all you had to do was give it what it wanted. Gix tilted his head back and barked a short string of clicking syllables. Within his body, small alterations were made, and he called out to the machines in the caverns of Koilos. They answered his call and pulled him back to their warmth and comfort. In an instant, he was gone. In Mishra's workshop, Hajar stirred and inwardly cursed for allowing himself to drift off. The preparations for relocating to Tomakul had drained the life from him as well as from Master Mishra. Hajar padded over to where Mishra was sleeping, still seated in one of his chairs. His vest had come open, and the pouch containing his talisman, his multicolored stone, laid on his shirt. Hajar smiled and tucked the pouch back within Mishra's shirt, covering the Kadir the Flashy with a blanket. The guard blinked and sniffed the air. There was an odor present. A mixture of burning coal and machine oil, probably the result of a wind shifting its barrens and blowing over some sulfur pit or workroom. Hajar shook his head. He, for one, would be glad when they were quit of this place 
and back under the desert sky. He checked the doors to make sure they were locked, then retreated back to his own position and drifted back to sleep, dreaming of that desert. In their quarters, the Brotherhood of Geeks dreamed as well. Dreams sent by their masters. There were new orders, said the dreams, and it would require that they serve in Misha's court longer than they had planned. But the rewards would be great once they succeeded. All the dreams in Misha's encampment that night were pleasant. 